0: We do turn now to the Word of God as found in the book of Colossians. We will be in Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. We'll read verses 3 through 8, and we will see how Paul gave thanks to God for the Colossians and the things that he found to be thankful for as he begins to deal with the false teaching that has crept into the Colossian church And so read with me in Colossians chapter one, beginning in verse three. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the spirit. Let us pray. O oh God and Father, as we approach your word today, we do ask once again that you speak to us that as you command us in Romans, that you allow this word to renew our minds. Lord, help us to grasp what it is that you have planned for us. Help us grasp these truths that are unchained, unchanged from the dawn of time and will continue to echo long after we are gone, down through eternity. By your grace, we do stand upon the promises you give, and through faith we will walk with you. As you walk with us, speak to us, build us up as your people, build us up as the church. And we do await that time when your truth shows and reveals the glory that fills the earth. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. How do we offer criticism to people? How do we give constructive criticism, whether it's within the family or within the uh, workplace? You know, modern leadership literature talks about the sandwich method of offering criticism where you you lead with a positive affirmation. You 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 hit them with the constructive criticism and then you follow up with a positive affirmation. And many people look at this opening to the book of Colossians and think that's what Paul is doing right before he smacks them with the problems of truth and the problems of their walking away from truth that he is following Dale Carnegie's method of opening with a positive affirmation before he hits them with his constructive criticism. But Paul is no modern leadership guru. He is an apostle of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is writing to a church that is falling to an error and in false teaching. And in opening with this thanksgiving and opening with this affirmation, he is not just giving them a positive He is reminding them of the foundation that they are built upon as the church of God. And also reminding them of the truth that is necessary to combat false teaching. And as we learned in Sunday school today, the truth that will combat the false teaching is the truth of the gospel. The good news of the work that Jesus has done on our behalf, the, the good news of what Scripture reveals us to be, both as the image of God and as broken, fallen sinners. It is that truth that is the foundation of the church, the truth that Epaphras brought back from to Colossae, from Ephesus, the truth that is the true religion and the truth that will bring them back from the false teaching. Paul is giving thanksgiving in this particular passage for the Colossians. And in giving thanksgiving, he points out three things. He points out that the gospel came to them and to the world world through hearing, that the gospel has power, and that the gospel should bear fruit. First, the gospel comes through hearing. How did the Colossians first come to understand and believe the gospel? We're told in verse 7, that they first heard it because they learned it from Epaphras. More than likely, Epaphras heard Paul as he presented the good news, the gospel message in Ephesus, the truth that came to them. After a time under Paul's tutelage, he would have carried this message back to his hometown of Colossae and taught the good news to the people there. The good news, we're told, comes through hearing, through learning, and through understanding. The passage we read in Isaiah for our Old Testament reading is quoted by Paul in Romans, where he talks about the people come to gospel, to the to faith in Christ through hearing. And how will they hear unless somebody goes to them? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news to the people of God. Epaphras was the one with beautiful feet for the people there in, in Colossae. But they didn't just hear it, they also came to understanding. Understanding of the truth. That truth, as they heard it, the Holy Spirit worked in their lives to bring them to an understanding of who they were as sinners before a holy and righteous God. Their understanding that they deserved judgment for their sin and for their rebellion. Their understanding of Jesus perfect life and righteousness that was theirs. If they simply believed and grasped that message in faith and the understanding that they are called to continue to be faithful to the truth that they heard, faithful to the truth that was proclaimed to them, faithful to the truth that is proclaimed to us as well. Paul says it is also this truth that you need to understand guides your life today and will bring you back from the brink. Uh, man, alliteration is just getting me down today. But bring you back from the brink of false teaching, of error, and heresy. And it's the same truth that will guard and guide us today. Do you know, do you understand? Have you heard the basic message of your salvation? Do you know how to take the basic message of the truth that is presented to us throughout all of Scripture and use it to compare that message to the teaching that you hear either from this pulpit or from the radio or from television, the books that you read that claim to be Christian teaching? Do you know how to take the the scriptures and compare it to teaching to determine true teaching and false teaching? Do you know the truth well enough that if I were to proclaim something false from this pulpit that you could greet me at that back door in love and in compassion and say, Ike, I think you got that wrong. Do you know the truth well enough? Do you understand it well enough in in order to be able to tell the difference between true and false teaching? Actually, it's all words today that apparently are getting me down. The gospel comes through hearing. The gospel comes through understanding. Paul also reminds them that the gospel has power. Paul says to the Colossians, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing. We have a tendency sometimes to get bogged down with the fact that it seems that nobody in our life wants to hear the message that we proclaim. The message of salvation. The message of truth that Paul talks about here. These words of truth, the gospel that they had received. And I'm sure the thing, that that was true in Colossae as well. I'm sure there were people within that church, maybe even Epaphras, who were fighting against false teaching that had crept its way into the church. And they were getting discouraged over the fact that it seemed that all the fighting that they did against the false teaching in the church and in the world around them, seem to have bear no fruit whatsoever. But Paul reminds them that this gospel has power. He says all over the world, people are hearing this truth, this gospel message, and it is changing their lives. It is changing communities. It is changing the world. The idea of the gospel bearing fruit and growing around the world would bring to mind God's promises in the Old Testament, God's command to the created order to be fruitful and to multiply God's promise to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 3, 16 and Jeremiah 23, 3, that God would gather his people, these people that had been taken into exile, this This nation whose people had outnumbered the sands on the seashore and the stars in the sky and in exile had dwindled into what is described as a remnant, as a small portion of what was taken into exile. God promised Jeremiah that he would bring them back together and he would make them fruitful. He would make them multiply. And Paul, in essence, is saying it is the power of the gospel that brings those promises to fruition. That brings those promises to be. God keeps his promises to grow his people through the power of the gospel. The gospel message goes to the ends of the earth and it is bearing fruit for God. We can get really discouraged in our culture today. We talked a little bit in Sunday school today about how it used to be, even as I was a child growing up, there was an understanding of Christian principles within our culture. There was a respect for the church within our culture. That respect is dwindling, especially for churches that, that say that truth is truth. God's truth is the truth, the only truth worth believing. And it can be discouraging. But the gospel message that had power in Paul's time has power today. Lives are being changed. The world is being changed. Even places in our own community that seems to be so antagonistic to God. The gospel is bringing change in those areas. The gospel comes to us through hearing. The gospel has power, but the gospel also bears fruit. Paul opens up this passage today by saying that he thanks God the Father, the God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, always when we pray for you. Now Paul's not spending 24 hours a day, 7 days a week saying, God, thank you for the Colossians. What he's saying here is every time I pray for you, I thank God for you. But I thank God for something very specific about you. I thank God that you have faith in Jesus Christ, Folks, that's the only place worthy of our faith and of our trust. That word faith there is the idea of trust that leads to salvation. It's not just belief that Jesus is real. It's not just belief that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. What does the author of James say about just that, that mere belief? He says, even the demons believe and it does them no good. That faith there is a trust to salvation. That faith there is saying I am a sinner. I have rebelled against God. As James says, in breaking the tiniest of his laws, I have broken all of them and that leaves me without hope except for Jesus, who I embrace completely as my only hope before a righteous and holy God. Paul says, I thank God for that faith in you. You've embraced false teaching. You've allowed the, the ideas of the world to work their way into church. But I thank God for your faith that has led to salvation. If I was dealing with false teaching, I told you last week, I'd be tempted to say, hey, bozos, what's up with you? You've gotten it wrong. Get it together. Paul says, you're holy, you're faithful, and I thank God for the faith that you have I fall short of that sometimes but I try I try to thank God for the faith that is evidenced in this congregation in each and every one of my brothers and sisters in Christ but he doesn't just thank God for their faith he thanks God for the fruit that that faith brings which is love for the brothers and sisters in the church He says, I thank God for your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have from all the saints, for all the saints. Brothers and sisters, do we love one another? Uh, The Faith Life Study Bible says regarding this, the gospel message makes love more of a mindset than a feeling. It involves putting the needs and interests of others before your own, even enduring suffering and hardship for the sake of others. This is not a love that just says, you know what, brothers and sisters, I love you guys. Be warm and well fed as you go out into the cold and the hungry world. It is a love that rejoices with you when you rejoice. It's a love that, that mourns with you when you mourn. And it's a love, Paul says in verse 8, that comes from the Holy Spirit. Epaphras has reported to Paul the struggles that the church in Colossae is having, but he has also reported to Paul that they love each other in the Spirit. You know, under my own power, to be honest with you, I would not love you in my own power. But in the power of the Spirit, God can change my heart so that I love, so that I have care for, so that I can be compassionate toward you. As you rejoice and as you mourn. But the other thing he thanks them for, he has thanked them for their faith or thanked God for their faith. He has thanked God for the fruit that is born in their lives, the love that they have, but he also thanks God for the hope that they have as well. Both the faith and the love that God, that Paul thanks God for spring out of the NIV translates it there. It springs out from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. What is hope? Oftentimes we think about hope as just a positive, a good attitude. Man, I really hope it doesn't snow later this week. They're calling for ice and a mix on Friday. Man, I've got things to do. I hope it doesn't you know get icy on Friday. That's not what they're talking about. For Paul, for the author of Hebrews... Hope is a quiet certainty. Why is Paul certain? Why does Paul say the Colossians are certain of what awaits them? It's because that hope is not grounded in anything here on earth. That hope is grounded, reserved, protected for them in heaven. Who's in heaven right now? Jesus, our Lord and Savior, fully God, fully human in His humanity, is sitting there in the throne room of God, in God's presence. Michelle sang about the glorious truth of one day knowing God face to face. Do you know how we can be sure of that? It's because our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, sits in heaven today, face to face with God. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that because of that, we can know that we who believe in Jesus... Also can know for certain for sure that we will see God face to face. That is the hope that is stored up for us in heaven. And that hope drives everything that we do here on earth. I heard one time that we can be so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. But did you know that if you're not heavenly minded at all, you're still no earthly good. Because we'll stumble, we'll fall, we'll allow the attacks of the evil one. to to trip us up, to discourage us. But we know our hope is secure in heaven. And because of that, we can move forward through persecution. We can move forward through trial. We can move forward even as the martyrs of the church have done in the past, knowing that our future, that our hope is secure. Now, these three fruits that the gospel bears are a, co- a common trinity, if you will, for Paul. Faith, love, and hope. We're actually used to hearing those from 1 Corinthians 13, are we not? Faith, hope, and... These three things remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But Paul uses these three fruits of the gospel in, in 1 Corinthians 13, in Romans 5, in Galatians 5, and and twice in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians one In first Thessalonians five, the gospel will work faith in each and every one of us. The gospel will work hope in every one of us. And the gospel will work love in each and every one of us. And we must search and examine our lives to see if we have that faith, hope and love. So the gospel comes through hearing the gospel has power and the gospel bears fruit. I think first and foremost for us is we need to ask ourselves the question, how well do we love each other? Paul talks throughout his letters, love one another. Jesus says that this is the one thing that the world will know my people by is if they love one another. How do we do that? How do we put feet on love, if you will? I think one of the best ways that we can do that is just to be there. You know, at the beginning of Job's trials, his friends did something wonderful. They showed up and they shut up. They just sat there with Job as he wept. They just sat there with Job as he suffered. And then of course, like most of us, they opened their mouths and it went downhill from there. How often are we willing just to be with somebody who's struggling? Just to be with somebody who's rejoicing. Man, you know what? I'm really busy. I got a lot to do today. Um, you know, I hope, I hope God helps you feel better. A little crass, but it, isn't that what we're tempted to do most times? Can we just be with somebody? Can we just sit there and just be silent and weep with them? And, and then not only do we be there, but sometimes we need to act as well. Sometimes being there really is not just enough. So what do we say when we want to act? We typically say, hey, call me if you need. You know, sometimes if you're in deep suffering, you don't know what you need. You don't know the answer to that question. And so think about what it is that you would want. Think about what it is that if you were in that situation, what do I wish somebody would do for me? And go do it within reason. But the most important thing we can do on a regular basis is what Paul does in pretty much every single letter he writes. At some point in almost every single letter that Paul has written, he says, I pray for you. The Colossians, the Philippians, the Ephesians, Titus, Timothy, the Thessalonians, the Romans, the Corinthians. I pray for you. Do we pray for each other? Not just God be with Nancy. But do we know Nancy well enough to know that we need to pray for her in very specific ways? Do we thank God for the fact that Kevin believes? Do we thank God for the fact that somebody in here has shared love with somebody this week? Do we thank God that we see growth in them? That we see them growing in grace And in knowledge and and next week, we'll look a little bit more about not just thanking God for people, but how do we actually pray for people as the gospel has fruit, bears fruit in their life? And finally, share the gospel comes through hearing. Now, unsaved people need to hear the gospel, people outside these doors that don't know who they are in the presence of God don't know who they are as sinners, don't know who they are as people under the judgment of God. They need to hear the gospel. But did you know that in the midst of suffering and trial, you and I need to hear the gospel as well? We need to know how the gospel meets my shame. We need to know how the gospel meets your grief. We need to know how the gospel meets your pain. We need to know how the gospel speaks into those areas of our life where we are just weighed down by false teaching. We need to share the gospel. If, if you would like to know more, a shameless plug here. If you would like to know more about how to love your brothers and sisters, there's two books by Ed Welch. One is called Side by Side. The cliff notes of it is called Caring for One Another. Uh, actually, I, I believe after we're done with the, the Ligonier series and our Sunday night Bible study, this is where we're going next, is uh, caring for one another. It's a 100 pages long, really short chapters. And, uh, it, and actually what I got for my conclusion here came from both of those books. But do we love one another and how do we love one another? And we need to grow in that as, as the gospel bears fruit in us. It helps us. Come to a love that Chrysostom says the this love is wonderful and steadfast. All other love in the world is but love in name only. For nothing is so strong as the love of the spirit. Let us pray. Our God and father, you are our God of salvation and love. You have given us your gospel message. You have given us the truth. Help us hear it today and remind us. That it is the foundation of this church. It is the foundation of the teaching of this church. And it is the foundation of our lives. Remind us that this simple message is the basis of everything we do. Remind us that the gospel has power, power to change us, power to change the world around us. And show us the love that we should bear for one another. Show us where we can love those, rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Show us where we can love those who are mourning by mourning with them as well. And show us the hope that is stored up for us in heaven, that that walks us through this life. I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.